Yo, what's up, Danny? How's it going, Tyler? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Just getting ready to uh, go to the dentist. I mean, talk about the dentist. <laughs> I thank God we're not going to the dentist. No Fuck kidding. that shit right now. No, that's about it. Fucking what episode number is this? I didn't even ask this you before. 166. 166. We're getting up there. Yeah, getting we're getting close. up there. Speaking of getting up there, let's get to our green hits and get a little bit high. I feel like I'm still high. I got fucking high as goddamn an angel's fucking fly earlier. And I'm still coming down from that shit, but I'm still going to smoke up on whatever you brought me today. So So I brought over the same batch I brought over last week, and that's the chocolate tie, which is a sativa strain. And I like this one because it does get you, you know, right in the pocket, kind of chirpy, nice kind of heady high, energetic. So that's part of the reason I brought that over. And in my vaporizer, I did bring over some Rude Boy OG. Mm. And this particular strain, it's an indica dominant, and it combines the genetics of two OG Kushas, uh, phenotypes that is. One is Irene OG and Bat-Crossed Face-Off OG. So the hashy Kush Aroma is typically found in OG varieties. It comes out strong on this particular hybrid. Some of the flavors that you'll get off of this guy, you'll get some of those peppery, kind of herbal citrusy notes. You had mentioned, too, like on the smell itself, it has a very cheesy smell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, this one's good for kind of relaxing, you know, if you want to kind of take the edge off, if you're suffering from depression and nausea, stuff like that. It's pretty good for that. So I'll probably back off and wait till a little bit later on in the episode before I delve into that guy. Right. Yeah, today I brought some pre-rolled J's of some sour banana from down the street at Flower. A sour banana is 70-30 sativa-dominant hybrid, bred from AJ Sour Diesel and banana sherbet. Nice. And I haven't tried it before, but this is testing at like almost 30%. Yeah, so I saw that. It's pretty awesome. It's probably going to get us pretty fucking <laughs> litty-titty, I'll tell you what. I'm okay with that. God, I think that's about it, though. Even before I do that, though, I'm going to hit your chocolate tie again, because I loved that shit last <laughs> week. So, oh, yeah. Fuck, I suppose we should probably just get into the guts and bolts of this movie, the guts and braces <laughs> <laughs> of the dentist. Let's go. Guts and bolts. All right, so guts and bolts of the dentist. We'll start with a spoiler-free summary, synopsis. I'm still going to just call it synopsis. We got into that last episode. But spoiler-free, what the dentist is about. Let's see. A dentist finds out his wife is cheating on him, flips out, and starts taking it out on his patients and colleagues. But, you know, it gets fucked up because it's a horror movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that's a pretty good brief synopsis, whatnot of what you're going to get yourself into with this film. All right. And, of course, we like to talk about our cast and crew from week to week. And this week, no stranger to the podcast, but the first time we've actually talked about him as a director is Brian Usna. And we've actually talked about Brian before because he's been the producer on several of the Stuart Gordon films that were reviewed. Let's see. Reanimator? Mm-hmm. Was he producer on Dagon? Yes, he was. And what's the one we did recently? From Beyond. That's right. Right. So some of his directing credits include such films as Society, Bride of Reanimator, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 4, Return of the Living Dead Part 3. He did the segments The Library and Whisperers for the uh, Necronomicon film back in 93. If you've ever seen Tarzan, The Epic Adventures, he did the episode Tarzan's Return in 96. He also went on to do such films as Progeny, The Dentist Part 2, Faust, Love of the Damned, 
Beyond Reanimator, Amphibious, and more recently, 60 Seconds of Solitude in Year Zero. And of course, he's got several writing credits, producer credits, just all over film. We've been on the edge of doing Society a number of times now, but then Jesse recommended, like, he was like, could you guys do The Dentist? (laughs) And I'm not going to put this on Jesse right now, like... I don't think he's a huge fan of this. It's just that he remembered it from back in the day. And yeah, like, that's okay. Yeah, y'all should talk about this. And That's a good excuse, yeah. if nothing else, good right? Good excuse. Hell good excuse. Yeah. All right. Now, we have several writers on this film. And once again, several gentlemen we've talked about before, starting off with Dennis Paoli. We've mentioned him several times before for the same reasons. He was the screenwriter on such films as Reanimator, From Beyond, such films as Ghoulies Part 2, Spellcaster, Meridian Kiss of the Beast, The Pit and the Pendulum from 91, The 1993 Body Snatchers, Castle Freak, and, of course, Dagon. We've talked about Stuart Gordon several times because of his director credits, but some of his other credits, as far as writing, include Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I know we've talked about that several times. Robot Jocks, Body Snatchers, Castle Freak, Space Truckers. I know you've mentioned that one before. Progeny and Stuck from 2007. And as we mentioned, we have covered From Beyond kind of recently because Mr. Gordon did unfortunately pass pretty recently. Yeah, so, so it sucks, but, you know, it's fortunately that's one of the things we talk about. <laughs> All right, we also have Charles Finch. He's helped write the screenplay for such films as Priceless Beauty, the film Bad Girls, and the sequel to this film, The Dennis Part Two. Our cinematographer is Levi Isaacs, and this guy's got some really rad-ass films. So when you look at some of his DP work, it starts off with such films as Saturday, The 14th Strikes Back, a little film that I know you're familiar with. It's a film called The Giver. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude. It's been a long time since I've seen The Giver, but it holds a special place in my heart for sure. So Nice. Well, other films include Children of the Corn Part 2, the film Leprechaun. You might have also seen his work on 16 episodes of Tales from the Crypt. He was also the DP on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. He was also the DP on such things as The Dawson's Creek, (laughs) which is pretty awesome from uh, 98 through 99 for 22 episodes of that. He did 65 episodes of Malcolm in the Middle from 2001 through 2004. He has also done such things as Mean Girls Part 2, CSI New York, Tooth Fairy Part 2. More recently, such things as Sins of the Father and The Little Rascal Saves the Day. All right, we have editor Christopher Roth. We've actually talked about him before because of our episode of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, shit. He's helped edit such films as Demon Wind, Steel and Lace, Leprechaun, Return of the Living Dead Part 3, Necronomicon, Book of the Dead, Leprechaun Part 2, such films as Progeny, The Dentist Part 2, Hatchet, which is a pretty awesome film. Yeah. Cemetery Gates, such films as Ghouls, Sharknado Part 3. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. And more recently, he actually did a film called Purgatory Road, which is part of the Unearthed Films collection as well. I thought that sounded familiar. Yeah. That's kind of dope. Okay. All right, another gentleman we've talked about before. This is our composer of music, and that is Alan Horwath. He's actually composing music on our 45th episode of The Fight Squirms for Halloween 3, Season, season of, of the Witch. Witch. <laughs> In part because he did a lot of collaborations with John Carpenter, which include such things as Escape from New York, Halloween 2, Christine, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, and They Live. 
His music has also been featured in films like The Osterman Weekend, The Lost Empire, Retribution, Halloween Part 4 and 5, and The Curse of Michael Myers, the sequel to this film, The Dennis Part 2, the film Boo, Evolution, Basement Jack, Hansel and Gretel, and Zombie Night and Brutal. And he's done a lot of sound design for award-winning films, everything that includes like Star Trek, a lot of those films, some of the uh, Raiders of Lost Ark, Poltergeist, Back to the Future Parts 2 and 3, The Little Mermaid, and Total Recall. So pretty interesting. Yeah, it looks like he's also won Academy Awards for Best Sound Effects for The Hunt for Red October and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Okay. Yeah, so... Got some big hitters here. All right, our special effects teams. I did want to bring them up because there's several. We have 3D Industrial Design. They help with the additional specialty props. We have Kevin Yeager Productions. They help with the adult oversized mouth prosthetics in this. We have Mirror Image Effects. They help with additional effects. Spectral Effects Studios. They help with special effects. Steve Johnson's XFX. They also help with special effects. And Sticks and Stones help with the character Sarah, her braces. All right. The nice. production companies on this were Image Organization in Trimark Pictures. Our producer was Pierre David. He was actually the producer on an episode we reviewed, and that was episode 55, and that was David Cronenberg's Scanners. Okay. All right. The distributor for this was Trimark Pictures for the 1996 United States theatrical release. It had a release date on October 18, 1996. I see that it had an estimated budget of about $700,000. It also has a tagline. I actually got two of them. And the first one I have is, Your Pain is His Pleasure, which is off the Japanese VHS copy. And the other one I have is, It's Time for Your Checkup. Pray It Won't Be Your Last. I like that one better than the first one. Neither of them I don't think are my favorite, but this is another one where I don't have anything better. So yeah. Mine would end up being a really fucking stupid tooth pun. So. <laughs> That's okay, man. We Show you the real meaning of tooth hurty. <laughs> it has its place, you know? All right, so moving along, we're going to talk about our cast. And we've actually got some pretty heavy hitters considering this film. But I'm going to lead off with our main actor and the titular character. And this is Corbin Burnson, and he plays the role of Dr. Alan Feinstone. Now, some people, including myself, might be familiar with Cordman because of his role as Roger Dorn in Major League, Major League Two, and Major League Back to the Minors. He also appeared regularly on other shows, which include The Resident, General Hospital, and Cuts. He has also made appearances on The Young and the Restless, some of his filmography. He's got uh, some kiss, pretty, kiss, bang, bang. Yeah, so he's got some actually really good films, man. So Tales from the Hood from 1995, The Great White Hype. Oh, yeah, he reprises his role in The Dentist Part 2, so a little bit of spoiler there. I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. I can't say I've ever seen that. The Right to Die from Masters of Horror. Yeah, dude. It's pretty awesome. More recently, such things as Roe vs. Wade, Faith, Hope, and Love, Sunrise in Heaven. I know he kind of went on um, a little bit of a, a religious kick. Mm. Yeah, so some of his more recent credits include a lot of Christian kind of stuff. So if you're into that, you'll probably see Corbin a good bit. Which is funny because then he also played Vulcan in American Gods. But <laughs> Go figure, right? All right, we have Linda Hoffman who plays the role of Brooke Feinstone, which is Dr. Feinstone's wife in this film. Now, Linda, she's been in such films as Clifford. You might have seen her in the film Face Off. And I believe there are some recurring images of her in The Dentist Part 2. Mm. 
We have Michael Stadbeck. He plays the role of Matt or the pool boy, pool guy. And such films that he's been in include Public Enemies from 1996, Sometimes They Come Back Again, and Sometimes They Come Back for More. And he made a few appearances in Will and Grace, the television series back mm. in 98. All right, this is another guy that we're no stranger to, and I'm talking about Ken Foray. Mostly because we have reviewed, let's see, three films that he's been in, or two of them that were back-to-back, and that is episode 130, which is The Devil's Rejects, episode 131, Dawn of the Dead from 78, right, and more recently from us, episode 156, From Beyond. But for those who are curious, I know we've talked about him several times, so I don't have to go too much into uh, detail, but... Some of his other films include Leatherface, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 3. You might have also seen him in such films as Knight Riders. We've talked about him being in Nickelodeon sitcom Kenan and Kel. He was also in the remake of Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah, like I said, just a really cool body of work, man, if you guys want to check out some more. All right, we have... Tony Noakes, he plays the role of Detective Sunshine, which is his partner, Ken Foray's partner, which I didn't think I mentioned. Ken Foray plays Detective Gibbs. I don't even know if they ever mentioned his name in this film, but... Yeah, nothing I Yeah, he's just one of the cops. All right, but Tony has been in such films as Back to Back, the film Breakaway, and the film Blowback. All right, we have Molly Hagen. She plays the role of Jessica, which is like one of the dental assistant nurses Mm. in this film. Now, she's been in such things as Code of Silence... Some Kind of Wonderful, the film Election, in the film Sully. And some people might know her for her roles on the television shows Herman's Head from 91 through 94 and Unfabulous from 2004 through 2007, uh, which is uh, a Nickelodeon series, which I thought was pretty neat. And she's been in a shit ton of television stuff like Charmed, Bones, Grey's Anatomy, Desperate Housewives, Ghost Whisperer, Cold Case, The Closer, NYPD Blue. So... If you watch a lot of television, you've probably seen her face. Mm-hmm. All right, we have Patty Toy. She plays the role of Karen, because we got to have a Karen in this film. Got to. Got to <laughs> have a Karen. Right? But she has been in such things as Freddy's Nightmares from uh, 1989, which is a television series. She was also in Quantum Leap back in 1992. She was in the film Speed. And some of our fans might have seen her in Sabrina the Teenage Witch back in 1997 and the film Progeny. All right, I have Jan Hogue. She plays the role of Candy, which is the receptionist in this film. She's been in such films as Progeny, the film The Kid. You might have seen her in Ed Gein. She was also in Christmas with the Cranks. You might have seen her in Evan Almighty, the film Faster. And more recently, she was in Three from Hell. Mm. Yeah. All right, we have Virginia Keene. She plays the role of Sarah. Some of her other credits include Invaders from Mars. You might have seen her in Pump Up the Volume and the film Ticks. All right, I have actor Earl Bowen. He plays the role of Marvin Goldblum, who is the IRS agent in this film. But Earl has been in such films as The Terminator, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and Terminator Dark Fate. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe he plays the criminal psychologist in those films. Some of his other roles include voice acting as Mr. Bleakman and Clifford the Big Red Dog. He was also in Bonkers. He was a narrator in World of Warcraft and Captain LeShuck in the Monkey Island series. Yeah. yeah. All right. I've got a few more actors and actresses. I have Krista Sauls. She plays a role of April Rain in this. 
Now, some people might it's have rain, seen her. like a queen rain. Yeah, not like, not rain. like purple rain. <laughs> but she has been in such television series as Step by Step and Baywatch Nights. She was also in the Conan series, and she had a lead role in the second season of Acapulco Heat. And it looks like she also made guest appearances in LA Heat and Silk Stockings along with Beverly Hills 90210. All right. This is a big name, even though he has a small credit in this film. But I am talking about one of the incarnations of Bruce Banner. <laughs> and I'm talking about Mark Ruffalo. And he plays the role of Steve Landers, which is April's agent in this film. But for people who don't know, Mark has been in such films as This Is Our Youth. He was also in You Can Count On Me. He was in such films as 13 Going On 30, Just Like Heaven. Film. How the fuck does this film have fucking The Incredible Hulk? It's crazy, isn't it? Well, it's 1996. Still. <laughs> I, I know, right? Uh, it's so weird that he's in this movie. It almost pulls me out seeing his face. It is kind of gnarly when you do see him. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing in this? What are you doing here? But, you know, it's okay. I'm glad he is. But some of his other credits include the thriller Zodiac from 2007 in Shutter Island. He also received a Tony Award nomination for his supporting role in the Broadway revival of Awake and Sing. And I already mentioned, of course, that he has been in all these Marvel Cinematic Universe films as the Hulk. And the Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Affinity War, and an Avengers Endgame. Wow. So hopefully people know him by now. If I ever see him in real life, I'm going to be like, yo, dude, fucking loved you in the dentist. <laughs> like what? <laughs> hey, you fucking perv. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. All right. We have Lise Sims. She plays the role of Paula Roberts in this film, who is the next door neighbor of the Finestones. Mm. All right. She's been in such things as television Sunset Beach from 97 through 98. She was in the film The Omega Code. You might have seen her in Dragonfly. And she was also in Phil of the Future, the television series from 2004 through 2006. All right, moving along, we have Joanne Barron. She plays the role of Mrs. Saunders, which is the mom of the little boy, Jody, in this film. Now, some of her credits include such films as Valley Girl. She was in the film Real Genius. I love that film. <laughs> she was also in Universal Soldier. You might have seen her in such things as Scene of the Crime. She was in Burning Down the House. You might have seen her in Material Girls, School for Scoundrels. She was also in The Flyboys. She was also in such things as Frankie and Alice. She was also in Murder of a Cat, I Remember You, and more recently, such things as Kill Thy Neighbor, Deadly Exchange, and Frank and Ava. And she's also made several appearances in television from like the 80s all the way up until more recently. I think the last thing I've seen her in is Crashing from 2019. All right, we have Brian McLaughlin, who plays the role of Jody. And the only other appearances that he's been in is in the film Simon Birch, the film The Kid, and The Devil Within. I've got two more actors, and that pretty much rounds out our cast. I have Christopher Kreisa. He plays the role of Mr. Schaefer, which he's like one of the guys in the waiting room. and kind of gets a little chirpy with the receptionist. Oh, right. Okay. But some of his film credits, I'm only going to name a few because he's been in a shit ton of stuff, but he was in The Karate Kid. He was one of the officials at the tournament. Oh, shit. He was in Castaway as Pilot Kevin. He was in The Man Who Wasn't There and a film I highly recommend if you haven't seen it, Summer School from 1987. All right, last but not least, we have the role of Matthew Ziegler played by Sal Viscuso. And Sal, he's been in such things as... 
Spaceballs. He was also in The Taking of Pelham, one, two, three. You might have also seen him in the sitcoms Barney Miller. He was also in Diagnosis Murder alongside with Dick Van Dyke. And he was also a part of the game show Pyramid with Dick Clark from 1977 through 1981. And it looks like he also made some appearances in the television series MASH and in the film. Well, the MASH one is interesting because you never see him in MASH. Voice? Yeah, he's the PA system announcer. Nice. But, I mean, it's fucking mash. Yeah, like, it's huge, man. That's, that's gigantic, so. Yeah, I was also looking through here, too. And uh, for any of those who did watch Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman back in the day, he had a recurring role as Bobby Big Mouth on that television series. So, yeah, that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief synopsis of what this film entails. We should give you all some warnings heading into this film. There's some pretty good gore. Yeah, um, good blood and gore. A little bit of violence. Some body horror, for sure, in this Some film. body horror, especially the, like, dental variety. There's some Me Too stuff going on in here. I was about to say, yeah, there is... Well, there's some sexy times, and then there's some straight-up sexual assault. So. Yeah, exactly. So for those... So you see some boobies, Ooh. but you also have, like, a not-good time. So. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to see some nudity, like I said, some sexy stuff and not-so-sexy stuff. Not my yeah. proudest fap. <laughs> no, all jokes aside there's been worse <laughs> yeah so all jokes aside though yeah this film for the most part if you can handle most of the shit that we've reviewed in the past this is kind of right up the alley especially for that 90s time period kind of I fits mean, right at home this is our what our fourth from this main collaborative group yeah if you've watched any of the others you can handle this oh one. without a doubt so let's get into how the dentist made us squeal mostly with the bill <laughs> How does that make you squeal? All right, so how the dentist made us fucking squeal. Do you have any relationship to this movie prior? I think we might have talked about this a little bit off. Very, there, very, very slight. I do remember seeing this film. I don't remember much of it from when I did see it. And mainly because of the fact that Corbin Burnson is in this, right? Mm. And, you know, growing up watching those major league films, I was like, oh, shit, that's Corbin Burnson as a fucking... <laughs> You know, a villain in a film. So, yeah, I didn't think much of it at the time. Yeah, it's been a hot minute since I've seen it. So I'd say probably the last time I'd seen it was, man, I want to say probably with my old roommate back in like 2004 or five, some shit okay. like that. So it's been a hot minute. I, I've gotten to tell a version of this story a couple times now, but it's been a hot fucking minute. I've never seen all this movie before. I've seen probably about five to ten minutes worth. And it was when I was 13 years old, and I woke up in the middle of the night and was flipping back and forth between HBO and Showtime to try to catch some boobies. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I ended up watching a little bit of this movie, enough that like the next day I was able to be like, did I just see something with a fucking dentist? And I was able to look in the fucking TV guide and be yeah. like, oh yeah, it's called The Dentist. And so it's always stuck with me that you know there's a movie called The Dentist, and I have seen parts of it, but I never watched the whole thing until... A couple days ago, and yeah, it's fine. <laughs> nice, yeah. I missed the boobies when I was watching it when I was thirteen. Yeah, that's why I only watched like ten minutes. Of I can it understand you only I have the so boobs, much and so I had to flip back to H. I remember specifically this was playing on Showtime. I flipped back to HBO to try to catch like some taxi cab confessions yep. or something. Remember those days? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, but I was going to say, uh, being that this is our first film that we've actually reviewed that was directed by Brian Usna, it is kind of an interesting 
I guess, entry into that sphere of guys that work together. We mentioned earlier with Stuart Gordon, Dennis Paoli, all those guys. So I had totally forgotten that this was even a Brian Hughes in the film to begin with until, you know, more recently. So it's like, okay. Well, we have talked a little bit off air a few times about doing this just because we're like, eh, it's fucking the dentist, Corbin Bernson. Nah. And then Jesse was, you know, was like, do it. We're like, okay. Fuck it. Yeah. Let's do it. So let's see. I mean, I suppose we can just get jump right into into this fucking movie, man. First off, I want to say the weird bit in the beginning with him miming the fucking dental procedure was cool as shit. Yeah. It was really artsy, but what it gave me a sense of especially the second time through, was that character, Dr. Finestone, Alan Finestone. Because in his mind, he wants to live in a very sterile, very classical, it's a very precise kind of you know way of living. And that includes his practice, his marriage, etc. But you're right, that opening scene, it's very overexposed white light. So everything's kind of intensified, mm-hmm. has almost an angelic feel to it. But that was something that kind of tipped me off for later on in the film, especially the second time through. You know, it lends to his personality. The first time through, it's very much almost like a dreamish quality. But then the second time through, you realize like it's his asylum cell. Yeah. Which is pretty neat. Because he's telling a tell. Mm -hmm. And that's how it kind of opens up. Because he says, I had a beautiful home. I had a beautiful wife. I had a beautiful marriage. You know, and everybody should know at this time that had... Is past tense. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So it's not like what's happening is present moment. No, he's rehashing this tale. I don't know if what all that he was miming was fucking accurate and stuff. I liked that it wasn't insanely perfect because that would tip this off to being the type of art film that, no offense to this creative team, I don't think they could pull off. (laughs) You know what I mean? I know what you're saying. But he was doing things... I mean, he obviously practiced it, so it was muscle memory. Not the same type of muscle memory, but... I know what you're saying, though. I mean, in his character, mm-hmm. yeah. Because but it wasn't like this exact perfect no, mimicry. Just... Sometimes, you know, you could tell he was probably holding his hand closer than it should be or whatever, but... Right. And two, I could say just a little bit, and I'm, when I would say a little bit, I mean just very, very little bit. It's a little bit of a foreshadow because of the music style that he uses, too. It's Puccini's opera, and we know later on in the film that he has an opera room. That's kind of his La Scala is what he says. So it makes sense. Things are going to hell around here, and that's got to stop, Brooke. <laughs> no. Yeah, it goes off kind of quick, right? If you're not paying attention, it's just... Well, the movie's only an hour and a half anyway. Right. I mean, it's, it's not a long film. There's a lot of shit going on in it, though. In this opening, it's their anniversary... He's getting like this dry cleaning back with a minute stain on it. So you already know he's a perfectionist, has OCD and stuff like that. But what it amounts to is she gives him uh, some gifts because he has to wear his white shirt and he has to have his diamond cuff links and she gives him platinum ones. This scene was a bigger deal for me the first time through because it set Brooke up to be a lot more sympathetic than she really is. (laughs) Yeah. Because you're like, oh, she kind of fucked up a little bit, and that sucks, and he's kind of overreacting because he's kind of an asshole. But she managed to, like, literally pick the perfect present. Yeah, to rein him, no puns, but to rein him in. 
And so, which definitely sets her up as being a lot more sympathetic than the second time through when I'm sitting there taking notes. Like, Brooke is pretty fucking terrible almost every scene she's in, except this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's CYA, covering your ass is what she's yeah. doing. But there is a line that he says, and I think it was in between that dreamlike state we were talking about earlier to open the film into this transitional is he says, but underneath the clean white surface, there was a stench of decay. And yeah. this is the start of it, right? Because she has like some kind of goop, which we know, we know what it is the further along the movie goes. Yeah, poop. <laughs> <laughs> and she's naked underneath her robe. And he's like, you know, you got to be careful because the pool guy's out there. And she goes off upstairs and he's getting ready, I guess, to go to his practice, his office and whatnot. But then. There's stuff that's starting to add up in his mind, and he stops the car, mainly because he still has that slick on his hand, and he goes back upstairs to do all that, and then he catches his wife out there, give him a do some head. Well, before he fucking leaves, like, he talks to the fucking pool boy for a minute, right? Oh, yeah, you're right, right. You're right. And dude's like, this shit, like... It's going to take till next week. Your shit's all fucked up. And he's like, it's going to be tomorrow or else it's your job. He's like, like I said, it's going to be tomorrow. <laughs> and my notes is, dude, you only handle somebody threatening your job that fucking smoothly if you're already fucking the dude's wife. <laughs> yeah, like I said, tomorrow. <laughs> like I said, tomorrow. I'll come packing. <laughs> <laughs> and unpacking. But, too, what I was thinking about in that scene second time through. Now, I will say this. I will say this. I don't know if there's any actual filth on him when he's in the car, but I don't think it matters because he still put it all together. Right. And because when you see him interact with the pool guy, right? I'm not going to say pool boy, but the pool guy is his jeans aren't that fucking filthy and stuff. And it doesn't look like there's a lot of stuff on him, if at all. But then that quick exchange, like you were saying, and then there's like shit all over him because he's wiping it all over his jeans and the filth is there. Some of the filth is definitely in the dentist's head. Some of it's definitely real. No doubt. I don't know if the movie ever gives us enough hints to know what's real or what's not, other than the obvious hallucination sequences <laughs> a little bit later on. Yeah. But I think enough of it, considering how fucked up the filter was, I think a lot of that in that case is actually real, which is fucking disgusting because she definitely sucked some off of his fucking fingers. Yeah, it is pretty gross, man. It is he gross. definitely had some on his fucking fingers that she sucked off. Yeah, and then he gets it like on her underboob. Yeah. Dude, they're about to fucking fuck while covered in pool sludge. Ugh. Brown yeah. pool sludge. Yeah, that's gross. Dude, they deserve to get killed. That's grimy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you're right when he has that exchange and then, yeah. He goes back upstairs because of the shit that he finds in his car. I like dirty girls, but not like that. Yeah, this is a whole different kind of dirty. <laughs> and he catches them, and then he goes to his study and gets his gun. Did you kind of wish that his little vision that he has right there was what actually mean? what happened? Dude, he was so intense in that scene, that fantasy of what he was going to do. It was kind of a bummer when it, real, when I know. it revealed that that was him he just having a out of it. I'm like, damn, this movie got deep real quick. And I kind of liked it. <laughs> you know, she's married to a dentist, so she's got some nice teeth. Show him, Brooke. <laughs> fucking up homeboy. I thought he was going to, like, oh, uppercut was... her in the fucking jaw. <laughs> oh, that would have been fucking killer, man. Just so, I mean, I don't condone that kind of stuff, but for movie's sake, it would have been boss. Well, and we know that this creative team 
is oh, yeah, with Gore. Now. Yes. Like, yeah. it might be a different one of them directing, but they're all fucking involved. Yeah, same team. Yeah. I don't know if they ever had any cool team name. We should find some fucking cool team name for them. <laughs> yeah, we'll make one up if not. But we know that they can do some good gore, so I was hoping that we'd get a fucking cock bit off. <laughs> Man, I was hoping. And even if not that, I was hoping that that scenario was real. When it wasn't, like, it wasn't the worst thing in the no, world. No, but it just kind of like, oh, damn, that was an intense moment. Yeah. It did help set up him having these little hallucinations for the next, technically for the rest of the movie, but they only really matter for the next, like, 30 minutes. Because past that part. point, he's in deep enough that it doesn't matter whether he's hallucinating or not. So Exactly. So after he has his fantasy about off and his wife and pool guy... He goes back to his car, and he's following the pool gun, and he goes next door to his neighbor, Paula. And he's kind of being, you know, sneaky about it and whatnot. She comes out. She kind of halfway catches him snooping. And he, you know, tells her about this made-up. It could have been this, a real story, but it's probably made up on the spot. You know, about having a party for Brooke, yada, mm-hmm. yada. He sees her yawning, catches like a glimpse of her molars, and he's like, you need to go ahead and schedule a checkup. She's like, oh, I hate dentists. <laughs> like, well, fuck, I'm a dentist. <laughs> You know what he does. Don't yeah. say I hate Dennis. I like. hate Dennis. <laughs> <And then look. laughs> All right. Anyhow, she caves and she's like, "Yeah, maybe I do need a, a checkup." And then, as she's going inside the house, and I guess out to the pool, she catches up with the pool guy. They go off in the little cabana, and he's she's watching just immediately. It. Like, oh hi, Mark. Oh hi, Mark. <laughs> yeah, you know what time it is. And he gets all kind of gloomy. But the dog sneaks up on him. He gets all pissed off and kicks out at the dog. But it's he hits the fence, which leads the dog out. I, I think the thing is for him, especially in that scene, is yeah. like he knows that she's married. And so she's also cheating. So yeah. it's the, the rot from within again. And no he's just doubt. like, this rot just keeps spreading. That guy is basically the filth that's causing the decay and the rot. <laughs> you know? And like I said, the dog gets out, winds up biting him. He winds up killing the dog, shooting it. So this is one of the first parts where I'm like, I'm not buying him getting away this cleanly, discharging a firearm in this Dude, neighborhood. And that not close in this neighborhood. proximity as well. Yeah. Yeah. You're in a rich neighborhood. Firearm goes off. And you're literally just a couple of maybe 100 plus feet away from your next door neighbor. And he's still all like flipped out and freaked out at this point. Like, right. you know, we don't really see Man. how he gets to the, the fucking dentist office from in between. But you have to imagine he wasn't doing so the most efficiently. Like no. he's out there at this point. He's running on pure adrenaline. Yeah, especially after... I don't buy him getting out of this neighborhood that cleanly. I think somebody's on his ass way too another, quickly. There's another little bit of a problem I have with this. It's not a huge issue. I'm, I'm like, I was going to say disclaimers, that you don't have to read too deep in this film. Not really. I mean, the cops are kind of on his ass kind of quick. It's just yeah. that they stopped because the dog got killed. I suppose you could argue that. Yeah, they're, they're, just, like, they're just following the steps. Mm-hmm. You know, They catch him pretty quick, though, in consideration. But all right. The office is calling him because they're busy and people are starting to get impatient. Mm-hmm. And when he does arrive, you can see the way he views the hallway starts to stretch because he's probably having anxiety and like so the stress and all that stuff. And he sneaks into his office and they hear him. The women do. And they kind of call out. But <laughs> this fucker, he like swallows a whole bunch of pills and stuff after all the stuff that's going on. Doesn't he call his wife? Well, I think maybe it's later on during the sequence, but he tells her Somewhere, later sometime on. Sometime while he's yeah. at the office there, yeah, he calls her up and he's just like, yeah, you're going to have to meet me here because I'm running late. 
Oh, you know, all right. The question I had for you, I know what happened. He puts his gun down on his desk or inside of his drawer or whatever, and he looks at a framed photo. Do you remember what the framed photo of what it was? Was it of his wife and the neighbor? In a bikini. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, why did he have a photo of his next door neighbor and his wife in a bikini? I mean, I'm not complaining, but just like. Well, my thought was <laughs> like, so funny. he has to imagine that they've all had a three-way together now. Possibly. Maybe he's a little jelly. Yeah. He's like, I didn't get any of that three-way action. I bet Pool Boy's getting that three-way action. Oh, man. Tag team. Back again. <laughs> Check it, direct it. Let's begin. Oh, let's go for the belts. <laughs> all right. So that's one question I had. The second one was just prior, but anyway. This is where the little kid gets seen, the kid Jody. Yeah. And <laughs> that's when shit really starts to go off on the deep end. The way that he views that kid's mouth, like everything's going smooth, right? He's being very friendly, very kind to the kid. I did notice this, and it's not because of the film per se. It's <laughs> I paused it on the scene, and you could see where the kid had been crying, like really crying. Oh, shit. Yeah, and they probably in between cuts and on set and shit were calming him down. Yeah, you know, because yeah, even like though it's like, he's a young with. kid, mm-hmm. but I noticed that I was like, oh, if you pay attention, you can see some dried up tears. Oh shit, on that kid's face. So somewhere along the lines, he'd been crying before. Anyway, well, and I wonder how long he had, to, like, how many takes they had to do, and him yeah. sitting there with his mouth open and shit, like exactly. I would imagine it's Corbin working with Burns kids and too. fucking around inside your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's weird, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, get on the kid. Get on the kid. Yeah. What he's doing, right, is as he's working on the kid's mouth, he's like routinely giving him a cleanup checkup and all that stuff. But he starts to see the kid's teeth like Mountain Dew mouth or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. fucking horrendous. But he's hallucinating that. He's having delusions because it makes him think about his wife. And he's like scraping and he nicks the kid. Mom freaks out. The kid's crying. So the Nick and the kid, for whatever reason, didn't get me so bad. But now that we're starting to talk about him working on patience, I have to say a big hearty fuck you to this fucking movie. (laughs) (laughs) I mentioned it a little bit more back when it was going on, but like our first like year and a half fucking doing this podcast, I was getting dental work done every month. Yeah, dude. Those memories are still very, very fresh in my mind. (laughs) Very vivid, eh? And some of just the sounds in this movie, I'm like, nope, fuck you, fuck you. I know exactly what this feels like. like, And I don't even know exactly what this feels like, because he's doing it without anesthetic half the time. Yeah. Pain, baby. Or just, or he's going to fucked up measures. And I know what that feels like under anesthetic, and it was just making me fucking squirm in my fucking yeah, seat. weird, man. Oh, I fucking hated it so bad. I hated it so bad. Like, I could watch it, but god damn it. Like, I'm just thinking about it right now, and I'm fucking tensing up. Like, oof. Yeah, that shit sucks. This one wasn't so bad, but no. later on, oh yeah, I get some of those. so much worse. This is just like this setup. But For this is where reason, you though, know, just nicking that, I, I was, I was okay. No, with that's that. fine. The kids, even the kids crying, doesn't really sell it a whole lot. The mom, she's overselling it. But <laughs> what I like is what he says when he comes out of the office. He's like, that kid, he just he moved. He's like, that kid's spoiled. He's like, we can't have kids anymore. <laughs> He's like calling off all kids. No more kids. Like, damn, that was abrupt. All right, so this is where Mark Ruffalo and, and those characters start to come in. So April Reigns, she's next, right? And they're, I can't remember if it was Jessica, maybe it was Karen, the Asian, it was one of the two gals. 
who um, were like attending to her. Mm-hmm. And then he goes back there and he's looking at one of the x-rays and he's like, oh no, there's a shadow over here. We need a... I think it was Karen because she's starting to notice that he's acting weird. And And she's like, you know what? Like, maybe this can just wait till another day. She doesn't have anything that needs to be fucked with right now anyway. And she's even like, I'm good. You know, I don't feel any pain or anything. Mm -hmm. But there is something there. And so he's got to fix it. He's like, I got to fix this shit. Oof. Yeah, this is where it starts to get (laughs) Hashtag me too. Yeah, I was like, ooh. All right, here we go. There's another film. I was not (laughs) expecting that shit. No. she has a problem with the needles. I get that. Don't look at that shit. Mm-mm. Especially those dental ones. Those ones are long as fuck. Yeah, just turn your head, you know, avert your eyes. So look up, look into the light, blind your fucking he, self. Give, he, he, granted, he offered swabs and stuff, too. Mm-hmm. He's like a little bit of the uh, lappy gas. Yeah, so I've never been under the nitrous oxide. I have neither. But she was digging it. Although I want to say, I want to point out that when she first grabs his fucking crotch... <laughs> What she sounds like is she's making a threat. She's like, don't fucking hurt me. I don't fucking hurt you. That's right. But she's too hopped up on the fucking giggle gas. Yeah. <laughs> to like make it to sell it. And he's too far in his own headspace. All he's seeing is another gal's hand on his fucking dick. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that's filth. That's and that's corruption. filth because he's married. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's automatic filth. Exactly. But he also hasn't been getting any. And he starts thinking about his wife. Yeah. And his wife's tits being out. He's like, you know what? Let's go ahead and turn the gas up a little bit. I'm fucking seeing shit. And he gives her a little bit of that uh, Stephen Root and Louie action. Yeah, he does. Now, granted, granted, like I said, it is acting and all that stuff, too. If you really watch the scene, it's not as bad as it, you know. Could have been? Could have been, yeah. But nonetheless, it's still, (laughs) you know, a molestation scene. So, like I said, I'm not... uh, condoning it but when you watch it and you know review it the way we do it but regardless he gets her knickers all the way down and he's yeah he like he's putting his finger in her mouth and she's sucking it i'm like oh shit and your boy mark ruffalo this is weird where he's out there with that girl sarah and the girl in the braces that part (laughs) was fucking strange man it's kind of a weird psych out in a way and the reason i say that is because it comes off super creepy because it is He's like, oh, have you ever considered modeling? And, and I know in the film, she, that girl's supposed to be like 15, mm-hmm. 16, something like that. I think the actress at the time was like in her 20s. But regardless, he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, get up. You know, be assertive, be aggressive, like, get, whatever. Give me a little twirl around. And when he said that, I was expecting that guy sitting across to yeah, fucking Yeah, no, like, what the fuck, something? dude? What the fuck, Bruce? <laughs> right? But when he gets her to spin, what he does is go over to the receptionist. He's like, what's going on back there? What's taking so long? <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of leaves her in the dust, makes her look like a fool. There's some humorous bits in here. <clears throat> well, they don't make it very obvious. It stands out a little bit more later, but I think this fits. What's her name, Sarah? Yeah. Girl I think this there. fits in. So the dentist is basically a slasher movie where we're following the slasher the entire time. Mm-hmm. Sarah's the final girl. Yeah, she is. And so this is the first part of setting her up as the final girl. She's Because when, when she's asked what she's doing, I think the intention was for us to understand that if she had a choice basically between saying what she did, which was, oh, I'm just stretching, or being like, I'm practicing my runway walk. Good point. Which would be her embracing a more hedonistic lifestyle and she couldn't be the final girl. Yep. The script isn't obvious enough for that. <laughs> no, like, no, but there's there's little signs here and there. Yeah. I agree. I agree. 
I think that's a back reading I had of that scene after the other things later on make it a little bit more obvious. Yeah. Like her giving the money back and shit. Exactly. Yeah. Like I said, there's little things here, little nods here and there. But all right. So when that happens, right, at the same time, the cops are starting to investigate what happened to the dog. And that's where Ken Foray, his character and that dude, Sunshine, they find the bullet. And what they do is they run forensics on it, of course, ballistics and all that stuff. Now, your boy, Corbin, that is, like I said, he's getting hot and heavy with April because he's envisioning her as his wife because he's hallucinating. And comes a point where he starts to choke that bitch. (laughs) And she's coming out of it now, right? And then he snaps out of it. When she started coming out of it, I'm really surprised at that point he didn't just finish her off. I was kind of half expecting it, to be honest, because I'm like, oh, this is way too fucking weird and too incriminating at this point. There's no way he thinks he's getting away with this. No, he's kind of like, you know, half her blouse off, probably one of her tits hanging out. Her leggings are the way down around her ankles. Her shoes are off. (laughs) He's lucky, if anything, that he hit her up with that laughing gas. Mm -hmm. But I think what the thing was, too, is like the gas ran out as well. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that, but... They make it out of the office, and Mark Ruffalo, you know, Caesar takes care of her, whatever, and they go off. Yeah, and then he's getting questioned again, and then they're like, they're starting to drop like flies, is one of the ladies' comments. I think this is when they call off the day after all that stuff happens, right? They start to deal with that shit, and he's going to go take Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to go get Sarah, and that's when Ruffalo comes back and he's like, yeah. you fucking pervert, like, we're going to sue the shit out of you. See, and that's like, that's where it's like, okay, he redeemed himself. <laughs> well, a kind of, I, well, Ruffalo redeemed himself well enough. I do feel like he kind of phoned in that scene a little bit. Oh, yeah. But more, I was just, I couldn't believe that they kept the take where he stammers. He did stammer, yeah. He's like, this man right here is a, sick, a sicko. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That was like his final line, and then he's off. Mm-hmm. But you're right, he does stammer that line. I'm like, was that his best line right? I know. 96, maybe. I, Still early on. Ruffalo, you can do better. <laughs> exactly. And beyond that, Yuzna, come on. I know, come on, man. Well, granted, like I said, they were, on, just, they were a low budget. Take. Just get one more take. But yeah, well, at least one more take. It's got to be better. That can't be his best take. That can't be his best take. There's no way that's his best take, because it's also so. just not that emotive. No, it's not. It is very flat. He was doing a lot better when he was being creepy before than when he comes back pissed. <laughs> he should have him get up and turn around for me. <laughs> Go ahead, spin around for me. But you're right. That's where he's like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. And then they call off the rest of the day. And then Brooke comes over to the office. And she kind of comes in because he's not around, Alan or Corbin. But she finally gets near to the music and she finds his new room, the La Scala room I was mentioning earlier. All right. So this is the part where I want to mention. First off, this is the scene that I saw mm-hmm. when I saw it when I was 13. I saw this, and then I must have flipped off the channel for a little bit. I saw enough to see that he was a dentist, and so that's why I was like, okay, it must have been the dentist. And then I saw a few minutes later, probably about 10 minutes later, when he's actually stabbing Mark. Because I also just remembered him with the knife very clearly. Oh, yeah. But what I really wanted to say about this, like, <laughs> as cool of an idea as it seems on paper to have all of these themed fucking rooms at a dentist's office, do you know what's even cooler? Just put a fucking TV in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you need, man, to be honest. Just something to take your mind off of the fact that these guys are drilling inside your fucking head <laughs> in your mouth. 
I understand on paper how all these themed rooms seem like a good idea. Yeah. But you're just not paying attention some, to the just walls, give man. give me something to fucking... It's too hard to look around at the walls. That's going to strain your fucking eyes. Yep. Just put something in put front of me. in front of me. Yeah. Put something in front of me. That is ideal. I got to watch Shrek one of the times I went to the dentist. <laughs> That's pretty nice. It was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, dude. Didn't care what they were doing in my mouth as I was watching Shrek. Oh, man. Yeah, once he binds her to the chair, right? Mm-hmm. I do like a little bit, and I think this might be... Let me know what you think about this. As she's in that room, right, we don't actually see him for a little bit. He's right. kind of behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And he's telling her, he's like, you know, this is basically like, you know, the epitome of what his practice is in this room and whatnot. And when he does come around, I was like, oh, I wonder if this is like maybe a little bit of homage to like giallos and stuff, the way that this is filmed in this particular scene. I mean, it's not your classical giallo slasher, you know, with the guy with the right. knife. But just the fact that you're seeing it maybe a little bit from a POV. Maybe a little bit, but I kind of feel like... Not the way it plays out, the entire scene. Just that little honestly, that little bit. This scene, this part of the movie is where I'm going to finally sort of get into like how this movie truly made me squeal. <laughs> like maybe, like that might be there just because I'm, I'm sure those guys probably watch those movies a little bit. So it's probably, if nothing else, yeah, so subconscious. That's all I recognize a little bit, yeah. But overall, this movie feels a little bit lazy, doesn't it? A bit. Not gonna right? lie. And he's like, well, we'll get into some of the details here in a minute. But, like, he's basically about to take his vengeance out on his wife. And that takes place over the next five to ten minutes, whatever, however mm-hmm. you want to gauge yeah. that. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where this movie loses momentum for me. Like, him getting revenge on his wife was an extremely clear purpose. And once he accomplishes that, like, the rest of this movie just sort of feels haphazard. It is. It really is. And I understand that that might be, like, a choice to emphasize, like, where his brain's at. Because once he kills his wife, it's like he gives himself permission to finally lash out on these people that he either feels are beneath him because of their perceived rot. Yeah. Or just because they're pissing him off in some cases. Although the pissing him off is usually also accompanied by at least some sort of crudeness, so... You could still argue that it's the rot. But it's not that interesting because his character was already kind of an asshole. (laughs) Like, if his character was, like, meek and withdrawn before, and now he snaps, and now he feels okay to, like, take out his vengeance upon everybody, then that's a lot stronger. But he's gotten his vengeance on his wife, and it's not that big of a change for him to be killing people because he was already an asshole, his staff was already kind of afraid of him even before he started getting weird. Oh, yeah. So I kind of don't care. <laughs> yeah, and I think something to note as well is something that is not very well kind of crafted in a sense. It's alluded to throughout the film because he takes pills. We don't know exactly what those pills are mm-hmm. and what exactly. I mean, it's hinted at. It's probably some kind of anxiety. Maybe he are, Maybe he's already a little delusional. Right. Because of the pressures of being a dentist and his status in society, which I do have to mention, knowing a little bit about Brian Usna, 
specifically because of the film society that came before this, is that I feel like this is another a little bit of a social commentary on people of certain status. And in, the, in this particular field, dentistry, not as a jab, but as, like I said, a little bit of a commentary. Because from what I learned a little bit of this is dentists have like some of the highest suicide rates of any hmm. profession. Okay. And it costs a shit ton to go through dentist school and all that stuff, too. So there's a lot of pressure that comes along with it. And then this character's particular case, he's trying to keep up with the status. But then we know he's got IRS problems. He's got a broken marriage, mm-hmm. you know? So all those appearances aren't what they appear to be, you know? It's just a facade for the most part. And so I feel like a little bit of that lends its hand into why he's having this break. His wife, that was, of course, a breaking point, but... I think this movie is like twice as good if they would have found some way to make the wife the last one killed. Yeah. And I think maybe having that at the end of the film was like uh, maybe their way of trying to trying to do that a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, without her actually dying. That being said, maybe this movie fails because it tries to be both like the origin story of a slasher and a slasher's whole first movie in 90 minutes. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. Like I said, there's a lot of shit that's happening, and it, it is very crammed and rushed, just because they don't have enough time to flesh it out. Yeah, we're watching a slasher. Yeah. And up until the wife being killed is origin story. The rest of the movie is when like the final girl actually matters and shit. Yeah. And it is... actually plays pretty true to a lot of those tropes. It certainly does. People get punished for being crude. The person who stays pure gets rewarded with living. <laughs> gosh, even the line that she gives, too. Yeah, he miraculously <laughs> gives away and oh my gosh, then ends with a super extreme Dutch obvious hallucination where you can kind of interpret it any way you want to. Right. I mean, it's obvious he's not in a good place. And I don't think you can interpret it that he's not in an insane asylum, but you can interpret the rest of how you feel about where he ends up like that shit isn't happening to him i guess is what i'm getting at like no it doesn't that doesn't actually have to what we're shown that last shot doesn't actually have to be happening to him. and and that's what i'm thinking too it's like you know the beginning kind of sets up what leads into the end right Mm -hmm. is that he could be in a cell he could be in his own head imagining these things and then perhaps he's going for his checkup and because of his guilt or whatever the fuck He's viewing that dentist as his wife at the end, hence why her teeth are all missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they fucked up, they're missing. But you can tell that's not his wife, it's somebody else. He's playing that part. I feel like I was saying all that to make a bigger point, but this fucking weed did its job, so... No, it's okay. But some of the stuff I in did between... accidentally march us through the rest of the movie, though. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> and that was kind of like a good way of kind of encapsulating what the film is without diving into some of the murders and stuff, which... I do like a lot of them. Jessica, his nurse, after she gets fired, she gets fucked up because she confronts him. She's like, I'm not scared. All right, you got to go. Fuck. That was that a part, little brutal. That part was a little brutal, but her confronting him was so stupid that like, I kind of got pissed at the screen a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I normally don't get that. And this is the next day. Why are you still carrying those around? Why don't you have those in What's a safe spot? You? Why you bring those back? You don't have to tell him this shit. Now that he fired you, just be pissed and go fucking ruin his life because you have all the evidence. Don't fucking tell him what you're about to do because you don't know what he's going to. He's been super unhinged the past two days. Don't fucking do this shit. She fucks up. She fucked up. He stashes Um, her in that uh, that gas closet. And then the IRS guy keeps showing up to her. Eventually, it's his turn. 
he gets his mouth all fucked up. Oh yeah. I want to go back for, for just yeah, a minute because no, I forgot I was going to mention one other scene that I didn't quite jive with that I feel like when it's back at the house and we haven't seen what he did to his wife yet. Okay. Mark hasn't found the body. He hasn't gone all fucking. Yeah, that's when the cops come visit. Slashy, slashy, and the cops come visit. I think we're supposed to have a lot more tension during that scene because of the cops showing up. It didn't work for me because no. I don't care if he gets caught. He's enough of an asshole that I don't care if he gets caught. No. And if he gets caught or not, either way, we're going to end up seeing her. You know what I mean? It's just who finds her. Is it going to be the cops (laughs) or is it going to be Mark? Right. But there's no tension on whether he's going to get caught because I don't give a shit. No, you don't really feel any tension at all (laughs) in that regard. Not. Yeah. I never felt like there was any moment of. But I kind of feel like that that's what that scene was supposed to be was like, oh, shit. Like, is he going to. Are they going to catch him? Are they going to find something? Are you going to find his wife out there? That's what that scene felt like it was supposed to be to me. And No, I, just, I mean, I know that yeah. was the intention of the scene, but it didn't no. deliver at all. Unfortunately, it didn't. But the very next sequence of stuff felt, I mean, as far as like him killing Mark and stuff was pretty cool. It was cool. No, I liked yeah, it. I liked it too. But you're right. There's no urgency is what I'm getting at mm-hmm. too. That's what I'm trying to say is, except of course we see her mouth and stuff. You can tell it's prosthetics, but it looked pretty good. Pretty decent. Yeah. You know, got to give him credit there. <laughs> uh, fucked her up <laughs> fuck him destroying her tooth ah fuck that so hard oh no man that's several films now we've watched actually they do the the pulling of the teeth the pulling isn't as bad as when he was using that fucking thing to just <laughs> destroy that fucking oh tooth. yeah you have on Paula on Paula god a grinder yeah <laughs> Ooh, that's a brutal scene dude that is so rough i mean you know that's one of the granted, roughest things Jesus. i have watched in the course of doing this show <laughs> that's actually when what's her face gets fired jessica right yeah yeah because she's she like i need to speak to you for a second and she goes out there and she's like you could you're destroying that lady's mouth her teeth because he's just like, he's like, like i got her the fuck out of there <laughs> Yeah, and she does. She goes, like, you, you need to leave. You need to go right now. Just, nope, just go. Just go. Yeah. Psst, psst, psst. Here's another dentist. Get, get. Yeah, exactly. And that's when she gets choked out and all that stuff. That is really fucked up. But when uh, he sees the IRS guy, too, what, what I liked is some of the probing inside was pretty neat, especially when he took that grinder to the guy's tongue. He has a kind of a quotable line, Corbin Burnson character, that is. He says, uh... He's talking to that IRS guy. He's like, get your tongue out of the way. Get it out of the way, god damn it. Right? Just the way he delivers it. I really like that. Now, legit, that guy kind of had it coming. He did. I mean, that guy was slimy. And what he was trying to do was bribe. Or just, like, extort him. Like, right. I know exactly. your shit's fucked up. I can make your shit really bad, but I also know that you're making a good bit of money. So right. You can either pay, pay the IRS paying me or pay me. a lot cheaper. Yep. And you're right. That's where he has to go. But then He's not broke. only is he extorting him, is he keeps making cracks about his wife and oh. shit. And like, dude, just get your fucking free dental work, son. Yeah, I know. Just shut up. Get your free dental work. <laughs> get paid. Get out. No. Yeah, you're right. He got mouthy. He got cocky. He has a line I like, too. He's like, uh, he's, he wants a little whiff of the goof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I like that. That was a pretty that cool line. That was good. That was good. A little whiff of the goof. <laughs> he also he kinda, knows what he's doing. He kind of jokes about it. He's like, oh, yeah, I was just, you know, come out of the closet. And he's like... <laughs> That was pretty fucking funny, too. Yeah, that was pretty good because Corbin was so fucking harried by his own shit, he wasn't even catching it. (laughs) Yeah. Karen, she eventually comes in, the the Asian nurse. Yeah. And uh, she, you know, she sees it, and he gets the old boss man on her, 
And I was like, that's kind of funny because we all know what the Karen meme is. Mm-hmm. Let me speak to your manager. <laughs> and and uh, that was pretty. Her going out was pretty fucking brutal. Her acting was good in that scene. Yeah, she gave a really good fucked up weird performance in that death throttle. That was weirdly brutal, dude. Just it like, was. He injected her in the neck, all scanner style with air, and he's like, "It's gonna go to your brain." And then you're done. You're done, son. But <laughs> what I was gonna say with the Karen thing is, it is just like I'm the fucking boss. I am the manager. You know, it gives her that whole spiel. He says everything's under control is what he tells her before he offs her. That's where the cops, they find, I think, Matt's body. And then they also find, of course, Brooke. Mm-hmm. Kemperi mm-hmm. does. <laughs> this is kind of funny. That salesman comes in, right? And he's talking to Candy or whatever. And he hears the screams in the back. He's like, oh, you know, it's like yeah. normal. Every practice has a screamer. Yeah. But she has some funny lines. I mean, they're supposed to be funny lines. And they kind of are. The receptionist. Right. And she finally tells Sarah that, you know, the dentist is ready to go see her. Now, it's a little bit of a setup because you feel like, oh, she's going to go back there and see some fucked up shit. But he's washing up and he takes the braces off. All of that looks really good. And I was really happy for a second because I'm like, she finally got it. And then he goes nutters at the end. Yeah, because he's basically talking to her like, you know. He's like, it's so perfect. Now it can only go downhill. Yep. And that's where, you know, like that's the final girl thing. And so the whole chase begins with them. She now give her credit. She smashes him with that like little lamp. Mm-hmm. She takes off, but that's where like the slasher thing comes into play. We already mentioned all that shit. He eventually they corners have their her. Chase. Yeah, he corners her in the room. It goes back in. Now while she was hiding, three times a day. <laughs> she, while she was hiding, that Jessica's body fell on her. I thought that was kind of fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> but you're right. She tells him she's like, I promise, I won't eat candy, and I'll brush three times a day. Three times a day. Three times a day. Yes, no candy three times a day. And he starts to cry a little bit, you know, because he's like, so all right, happy. maybe there is a little something left in this world. And to set up, he escapes while the cops come in, he find man- her. Yeah, I was about to say he managed to And the to receptionist, she's like, you know, because prior she's like, there's nothing that goes on in this office that I don't know about. And then she's like, he had such a great marriage. <laughs> she's doing all that shit. And she's like, he was a great teacher. And that was the tipping point for the cops. And they're like, what would you say? And then we see him at this uh, this college. I was not expecting this shit at all. Teacher? This is fucking what? wild. This is out of nowhere. It and is. What the fuck? What's the... Uh, I have it fucking written down, but I wrote it like an asshole. Pain is an abstract emotion. <laughs> yeah. That, basically what he's doing is he's trying to implement pain as a way of practicing his dentistry. Like it has to be a part of the process. Amongst his students. Jesus. And then he starts telling them all to start extracting teeth. And then, you know, people are in the chairs like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Out comes the gun. Yeah. He pulls I love the, the gun pearl on. handle, by the way. Yeah, of course. Right. And yeah, he's starting to have delusions and shit. He takes one of like one of the dudes... He's having an interaction, and he sees him as Matt, and he winds up popping him in the leg or some shit. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the cops come in because that's, you know, they're hot on the trail. He takes that girl hostage just for a second so he can go out the door. And <laughs> a weird chase starts until he gets all the way to the theater where he hears an opera singer, you know, and he becomes overwhelmed with emotion and drops his gun and reaches to her, freaks her out. And but when she turns, he sees... His wife. His wife. Right. All With the mangled up. mouth. Yeah. yeah. And this chase ends in the most weirdly melodramatic. Yeah. Like they're on, on a stage. stage. And it's, position like they would be in like a play. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking too. It's like it's 
from the um, the way it's shot to the perspective that you get, it's kind of like from the back. You know, you're seeing it from a distance. The stage, like mm-hmm. you said, like it's a play. And then we get the scene where he's back. Well, at- and then it fades to the. It does a, a quick fade to the stage empty with everyone. Mm-hmm. You don't see them like pull them off or anything. It just like yeah, fades. Like we, we should know. <laughs> and then it cuts over. I'll give him some credit, Corbin Burnson. He does a really good job as a loony guy. Yeah. Um, it wasn't too over like doing it. It was, I think, just enough crazy. Yeah, until he gets pushed all the way into the dentist chair. And then, like we already mentioned, the nurse or whoever the, the dentist is. It's a different lady, but he sees her as his wife once again with the mangled mouth. And then you get the zoom out and like that Dutch angle. <laughs> it looks like a, I don't know, some kind of gate or something, you know. Mm-hmm. The way I looked at it from this film was like, all right, he's telling us a story. We don't know exactly if he's in it. Like you said, if he's a mental hospital or if he's just rehashing this somehow, where at, who knows. I do know there's a sequel, so, I mean, it, it gets flushed out a little bit. But right. This one is not a bad film. Like, so the concepts are there. It's just everything felt rushed. Yeah. You know, which would have been nice had, you know, like I said, they had a bigger budget perhaps and a little bit more time to shoot and what have you. I don't hate it. I thought it was entertaining enough, but it's kind of like, eh. I don't hate it. It feels extra disappointing because it feels like the easiest fix is just move his wife to being the last victim. Yeah, I, I felt that like that would probably make a lot more sense. Because you're right, once she's most, off, it's like, eh. One of the most interesting things is him like continually breaking down over his thoughts of her and her affair yeah. Rather than, like, we go from him being tortured by that to him being tortured by images of her to her, for some reason, replacing the things that he loves with dentistry yeah. and opera music. Although that change in his psyche was never quite clear. The change to him killing was like the wife was the last straw. But right. you could have made something else the last, you know, just the fact that she did it the last straw to right. push him into killing and then kept the tension with him not having fulfilled his revenge yet for the rest of the movie. And No doubt, dude. I don't know. That just feels like the better movie to me. Uh, yeah. But it's not like this was bad. It just I'm, weirdly disappointing. Another thing, too... Like I want to, I want to give some good marks now. <laughs> like I said, don't, I'm not trying to make it out like this is a bad film, but the music a little bit too kind of pulled me out. It felt a little too playful at times. The mm-hmm. way that you know it, it tried to pace the film or like certain scenes. I was like, ah, I mean, I understand this is like B movie per se, uh, so you're not supposed to take it too serious. But the, I think the music could have emphasized a little bit more of dread or tension and stuff like that. But kind of felt flat for me a little bit. But the things I do like, I think the thing that worked the most about this film is the simple fact that most people have a fear of going to the dentist. Mm -hmm. And then you compound that with the fact that we're seeing some of the imagery in this film. (laughs) And that's already a big turnoff for a lot of people. Yeah. Just seeing him, you know, with the drill and yanking teeth and the results of. It's like, man, it'll make you never want to go to the dentist again. So I feel like it's already playing on this fear that a lot of people have. And it did that well. Like, I have to make a dentist appointment soon, and it fucking sucks now that I've seen this movie. So, <laughs> Yeah, especially if you see Corbin yeah. <laughs> greeting you. You're like, ah, I'm good, bro. Nah, my dentists are cool. Nah, but. it makes a big difference. And I think that's the thing, too. It's it's an interesting way of telling us a tale of a dentist. And like I said, the social commentary, as brief as it is, just knowing that they have huge pressure on their backs too because of the things we've already mentioned throughout this film so 
you know, I, I get it. And I think, too, with Yuzna, he does make those social commentaries on high society as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's maybe another little poke in this general direction. Yeah, I think I've said about all i got to say on the net. Yeah, I think it's fun. It's one you don't have to take too serious and uh, worth a shot if you want to see Roger Dorn do a horror yeah. film. Although, shout out to my dentist over at uh, Family Dental in Southgate Mall. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Jesse, too, man. Thanks for the recommendation. It made it easier for us this week, too. You know, he recommended that we do this movie, but I have a feeling what we're going to be doing next will actually make him happier. Because I know how much he loves this movie. Next, we kind of missed what will be the beginning of summer proper, mm-hmm. but only by like a week. Yeah. Because with us getting into the summer season, we realized that in all the years of the show, we haven't celebrated this yet. Normally, it's blockbuster season, but <laughs> coronavirus is happening. So we're going to start with our own blockbuster season. Yeah, buddy. The original blockbuster, Jaws. That's going to be a lot of fun. Ten. I'm fucking excited as shit, dude. It's been way too long since I've seen Jaws. Yeah, it's been a hot minute since I've watched it, too. In order to listen to us talk about Jaws, it would be super fucking dope if you guys would hit subscribe if you're listening to us now. If you could rate and review us, that would also be cool because the world is around on algorithms and that just gets us in there more. All of that good shit. In order to listen to all of our back catalog, we mentioned a number of other episodes where we talked about some of these gentlemen before. You can go hit up our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Contact us through the website or by emailing us, squirmcast at gmail.com. While you're at the website, you can hit the links up at the top. We are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Check out the other shows over on the network. Listen to me talk about nerdy shit over on General Nerdery. Listen to my co-host from General Nerdery talk about war and war gaming, like 40K, Belagarth, and fucking Sun Tzu, Frederick the Great. Over on the Art of War Gaming, more shit to come. The easiest way to keep up with all the shit from the network will be to hit up that website that is earverm.com e-a-r-v-v-y-r-m.com search for fried squirms across all the social medias you'll find us yep (laughs) (laughs) nice well you know like so once again thanks jesse for the recommendation so that's just to let people know that we do like suggestions once again and if you are a filmmaker have an independent film that needs some eyeballs let us know always up for the challenge or like i said before some balls balls yeah. We'll rake our balls on many a thing. For this week of Fried Squirms, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. out.